Well, what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, before we pray, let me just kind of um, share with you. I know that as I was doing the baptism earlier, when we were talking about the salt, I kind of butchered that scripture a little bit. And the reason for that is I was trying to figure out at that moment just how much water got in my waders. Um, and I think it was kept to a minimum, but I was just kind of thrown off a little bit there. So I apologize um, for that. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of coming and being a part of of what you are wanting to do this morning. And Lord, just as we just sung, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will come, will light upon each one of us. And Father, we pray that as a result of the direction of your Holy Spirit, Father, you'll reveal something new to us as we open up your word this morning. Father, speak to us change us. Use us as your instruments for change within this world that we live in. Father, just pray you'll just um, be with us now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are um, continuing a new sermon series that we began last week called Follow Me. Jesus said in Matthew 4.19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What we are doing right now is we're in the beginning stages of a sermon series through the book of Matthew. And our goal through this series is is twofold. Number one, we pray that if there's someone that comes into this church over the course of this sermon series that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that A, they come to faith in Christ. And then it's also our prayer through this sermon series that all of us will be made into disciples that are ready to make disciples. And so I'm looking forward to this message series. Last week we looked at the herald of the king and we had two king, two points. The first point was the messenger and that was John the Baptist. And if you recall last week we said that, that, that Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest man ever born of a woman. That is an incredible compliment, isn't it? Think about it. John the Baptist was greater than every king this world had ever seen. He was greater than every prophet this world had ever seen. And he was greater than every military leader this world had ever seen. And so that was the messenger that we looked at that came to prepare the hearts of men for the arrival of the king. And then our second point was the message that John the Baptist preached. It was a very simple message. It was a message in which he called people to repent. To repent of their sins. And this word repent is a military term that means to make an about face. And so the picture is that of a man that's walking down the road and all of a sudden they come to faith in Jesus Christ and they make an about face and they leave their old life behind and they begin to follow Jesus Christ and unto the new life that comes when we enter into a relationship with him. And then he preached a message of repentance because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And what that meant is that was a pronouncement that meant that salvation is here because Jesus Christ has come. And it also meant that hell is near for those that choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This week, we're going to be looking at baptism. And it, it just was exciting this morning that we actually we're able to baptize somebody, and that we didn't plan that. That's just kind of how it fell. And so I'm looking forward to this morning as we look at the baptism of Jesus. I came across this, um, this story about 
baptism that I wanted to share with you. Um, the story goes like this. There was a drunk man that stumbled upon a baptism down by the river. And this drunk man um, noticed a preacher down in the water. And so he himself got down into the water and he stood next to that preacher. And the preacher turned to the drunk man and he said, Mister, are you ready to find Jesus? And the drunk man said, Yes, I am. And so the pastor dunks him under the water and brings him back up from the water and he looks at him and he said, did you find Jesus? And the man said, no, I didn't find Jesus. And so the drunk man wanted to make sure that he finds Jesus and so he baptizes him again. He dunks him under the water and brings him back up and he says, did you find Jesus? And the man said, no, I didn't find Jesus. And so at this point, the pastor's getting a little bit perturbed. And so this time, he holds the guy underwater a little bit longer. He ducks him under the water, holds him down there for about 30 seconds, and then he brings him up out of the water and he asks the man, did you find Jesus? And the man is gasping for breath and, he, and he's wiping the water off of his, of his face and the drunk man actually turns to the preacher and said, are you sure this is where he fell in. You know, some people feel like baptism is where you find Jesus. That is not the case. Baptism is what you do after you find Jesus. This morning, Dylan, because he found Jesus and repented of his sins and placed his faith in Jesus Christ, he was baptized. He wasn't baptized before his salvation. He was baptized after his salvation. So baptism is what we do after we find Jesus. Our message point this morning is this, the commissioning of the king. And that's what we're going to see this morning, is we're going to see the commissioning of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This morning, there's, you'll notice in your sermon guide that there are two points. The first point is this this morning. It's Jesus' arrival. Jesus' arrival. Up until this point in Jesus' life, he had lived in relative obscurity. Outside of his family, no one had a clue who Jesus Christ was. Even his family didn't fully grasp exactly who Jesus was. So at the age of 30, the Bible tells us that Jesus begins his public ministry. And all of that would begin right here with his baptism. Have you ever wondered why was Jesus 30 when he began his public ministry? Why didn't he start whenever he was 28 or 25? Hey, he's the son of God. Why didn't he start whenever he was 18? The reason is because 
a rabbi would not be fully recognized as a rabbi until the age of 30. And so as Jesus has turned 30, it will be on this day that, that God the Father will pronounce Jesus to be the rabbi. And so I want us to see this morning two reactions. Two reactions. The first reaction is this. John's reaction to Jesus' arrival. We read in verses 13 and 14 again, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? You know, John preached the message as we've already looked at this morning. He preached the message last week that we looked at in verses 1 and 2. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, that he preached a message of repentance for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. His message was very simple. It was a message in which he called sinners to repent of their sins. So John called who to repentance? He called sinners to repentance, didn't he? Who were the sinners? Everyone, right? Everyone that walked the face of the earth we're sinners. Bible says in Romans 3.23, this is abundantly clear. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person that's ever walked the face of this earth has committed a sin. If you and I lived during the days of John, it's my prayer that you and I too would have gone down to that Jordan River so that we could repent of our sins and prepare our heart for the arrival of King Jesus. And so we see this message that John is preaching, a message of repentance. There's a problem when you think about this because there was one person that lived on the face of the earth during the time of John that had never committed a sin, and that was Jesus Christ. And so what we have here is when Jesus shows up wanting John to baptize him, what does John do? John at first refuses baptizing Jesus. We see in verse 14 again, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? John is absolutely against baptizing Jesus because John recognizes that he himself is a sinner. How can a sinner baptize the perfect Lamb of God? And so John actually balks at first baptizing Jesus. Here's what's significant. John's reaction is very, very significant whenever he refuses to baptize Jesus. What does John What John does is he makes it abundantly clear that Jesus Christ truly is the Messiah. He makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is without sin, that he is perfect, that he is the Lamb of God, that he is the Messiah that has come to to draw the lost unto salvation. We know this because why? Because John baptized every single person that had repented of their sins, with the exception of Jesus. By John refusing to baptize Jesus, John declares that Jesus truly is the Lamb of God. Truly is perfect. So, he did not need to be baptized. Jesus did not need to be baptized because only sinners needed to be baptized. How would John have known Jesus was without sin? 
How would he have known that? We read in Luke chapter 1 that Jesus and John were relatives. If you recall, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she would give birth to the Lamb of God, give birth to the Messiah, give birth to Jesus Christ. As he prophesied of Jesus' birth to Mary, he also made it abundantly clear to Mary that her relative Elizabeth, who was both old and barren, was also pregnant. I can just imagine that Mary's mind must have been blown at this point. Because not only has has she heard that she is going to give birth as a virgin to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah who has come to take away our sins, but her cousin Elizabeth also is going to give birth when she is old and when she is barren. What I love is the response that, that the angel Gabriel gives Mary. The angel Gabriel says in verse 37 of Luke chapter 1, says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? For nothing will be impossible with God. So not only, Mary, are you going to give birth, but also your relative is going to give birth. Both of these births will be impossible, but guess what? They're going to happen. Nothing is impossible with God. So you have two supernatural births. One was the king of the universe, the Messiah. The other was Christ's herald, Christ's forerunner, John the Baptist. I just cannot imagine that these two families did not spend as much time together as they possibly could while both John and Jesus were children. Not many people could relate to a supernatural birth and a supernatural conversation with the angel Gabriel. But Mary was able to do this, do that. Now some will argue that scripture is clear that John says in, in John chapter 1, verse 31, and John chapter 1, verse 33, John makes this declaration. He says, I myself did not know him. Even though John said he did not know him, know Jesus that it is, the consensus is this, it is more likely that John did not realize that Jesus was completely the Messiah until this day whenever he baptized Jesus. Even though John said he did not know him, it's more likely that, that John did not fully know that Jesus was the Messiah. Regardless, even if they did not know each other, when John saw Jesus walking up over that horizon, John, who was full of the Holy Spirit, would have recognized immediately that that was the King of the King, King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah that had come to take away our sins. Notice next here. Notice Jesus' response to John's question. But Jesus answered him in verse 15, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Why did Jesus need to be baptized by John? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever really studied that and looked at why in the world Jesus needed to be baptized by John? If baptism was only for sinners, then why would he who had no sin need to be baptized by John? Ask yourself this question. Why did Jesus come and dwell among us? Why did Jesus leave heaven full of all of His glory to come and dwell amongst us sinners? 
He came to identify with us, didn't he? He came to identify with sinful men. The Old Testament book of Isaiah told us that Jesus would come and he would identify with us. In verse 12 of Isaiah 53, we read this. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In baptism, you and I identify ourselves with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, or we read this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. We read, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, on the cross, would take our sin upon himself to provide a way for us to enter into a relationship with him. A couple of years ago, my family and I went down to Independence, Texas, and we went down there to check out some of the historical markers that are in that area. One of the sites that we went to was a little church right next to the Little Rocky Creek. I don't know if you've ever been to the Little Rocky Creek, but it's a pretty neat little, little tour if you ever have the opportunity. I encourage you to do that. It was in those waters of the Little Rocky Creek that one of our Texas pioneers was baptized, Sam Houston. There is a sign right next to that creek that shares Sam Houston's response to being told that his sins had been washed away. As he's coming out of the water, one of the men um, that, that was there says this. He says, well, General, all your sins have been washed away. And Houston replied, if that be the case, God help the fish downstream. You know, when I picture Jesus' baptism, I picture righteousness walking into those sin-stained waters of the Jordan. And as Jesus is baptized, we have the picture of those sin-stained waters being purified by Jesus' righteousness. That is why Jesus came. He came to take our sin-stained lives and purify us when we repent of our sins and place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice our second point this morning. It is this, Jesus's baptism. We read in verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Notice the mode of Jesus's baptism. He was not splashed He was not sprinkled. He was fully immersed. We see here, immediately he went up out of the water. In order for someone to come up out of the water, what must happen? They must first have been put down into the water. 
I've had the privilege on, on several occasions of going over to Israel. And I've been there on mission trips as well as I've led teams there on, on touring trips. And we always go to the Jordan River. And one of the things that we do is we give, um, we've given opportunities to our team members to be baptized in the Jordan River if they would like to. And I'll never forget, um, it, it seems like every time we go, we'll get down into those um, waters of the Jordan. And we'll bring down the church members, and we will baptize them. And, of course, we'll baptize through immersion. Well, up to our right, there's always groups that are there that will actually, um, their mode of baptism is they, the, the priest or, or minister will reach down into those waters, and he will just pour the water on top of the head of those that have come to those baptismal waters that day. Have you ever wondered why some faith communities sprinkle and other faith communities immerse? You know, there, there are several different opinions to this as to when this officially began. But some will trace it back to the, the third century. And the story is this, that there were, were men and uh, women that were literally on their deathbeds. They had waited till their final moments of life before they repented of their sins. And so in order for them to have been baptized, they would have had to get up out of bed and go to the baptismal waters. Well, these people, because of their health, were unable to do that. And so they would actually sprinkle or pour water over the heads of those that waited till their last moment before they could be baptized. Popular opinion of this, um, the consensus is this, that, that sprinkling and, um, uh, was not officially allowed um, until the Catholic Church um, at the Council of Ravenna in 1311. It was during this council that it was declared that immersion or sprinkling were acceptable modes of baptism. And following this declaration, there would also be Protestant churches when they formed that they too would carry on the tradition of sprinkling. Here's a problem with that. Nowhere in Scripture does it give us permission to sprinkle or splash, does it? The picture that we have of Jesus' baptism is that he was brought down into the water and he was brought up from the water. And that is a picture of what baptism should look like. The word baptism or baptize or its derivative is used some a hundred times in the Bible. Translated, that means it is very important. At Friendship Baptist Church, we are a community of believers that identify with one another through baptism. In order to be a member of this church, we require you to have repented of your sins and to come to faith in Jesus Christ and then also follow the Lord in believers' baptism. We strive to be an Acts 2 church, and the model that we have for baptism is immersion. I love um, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. After Peter preached the sermon at Pentecost, we read this. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Baptism is important. In the early church, as soon as a person placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, immediately they were baptized right after they trusted Jesus. You may be here this morning. And you may have been baptized in an unbiblical way. 
This, this morning, I want to give you an opportunity um, to make sure that your baptism is on the right side of your salvation, to make sure that your baptism is the proper mode according to Scripture. And, and I'm not saying that we're going to baptize at the end of this service, but hey, here's the deal. The waters are ready. If you want to get baptized today, we can do that, all right? We can do that for sure. Um, if not, then what I do pray is that if your baptism is not scriptural, that you make sure over the coming um, days or weeks that you get your baptism in proper alignment with God's Word. It's important that we do that. Now, we know that baptism does not save us, right? But it does identify us as followers of Jesus Christ. Dylan's probably first true profession that he had, had that he is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ occurred today as we watched him baptized in those waters. So what baptism does is it identifies us as being Christ's followers. For those that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what we saw is a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ will do when we repent of our sins and place our faith in him. He will take our sins and he will, he will wash them away and he will give us a new life. That's what baptism is all about. In Matthew 28, 19, one of the last words that Jesus left us with was this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus himself called us to go and make disciples, to make converts, and as a result of that, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want to conclude this morning with with these verses. What we're about to see next is the anointing of the King, the commissioning of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see this morning is a beautiful picture of the Trinity. We see present at Jesus' baptism, the Trinity, there is the Son, there is the Holy Spirit, and there is the Father. We read in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. First, let's look at the Spirit of God as it descends upon Jesus. A lot of people believe that when the heavens opened and the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, that it was at that moment that Jesus received the Holy Spirit. I don't hold to that view. In Matthew, we read that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus, then it would make sense that the Holy Spirit would remain with Jesus all of the days of his life, right? In Luke chapter 1, we read that the Holy Spirit was upon John from the time that he was conceived. In fact, the angel Gabriel told his father Zechariah, John's father Zechariah, in Luke chapter 1.15, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit 
even from his mother's womb. If the Holy Spirit was on the sinner John from the moment of his conception, doesn't it just make sense that the Holy Spirit also would be upon Jesus from the moment of his conception as well? He, what we cannot overlook when we read this passage of Scripture, I know this morning that we're going kind of, kind of deep into some theological truths, but I think these are important truths to help us as we walk through the book of Matthew together. It's important that we don't overlook the fact that Jesus was fully God. He was one with the Father and one with the Spirit even as He walked this earth. What we are seeing this morning in this passage of Scripture is the anointing of the King. It is not Jesus' divinity that needed anointing, was it? It was His humanity. Jesus was fully God and He was also fully man. He was 100% God and He was 100% man at the same time. In Jesus' humanity, Jesus would get tired just like we get tired. He would get hungry just like we get hungry. He would get thirsty just like we get thirsty. I'm sure that there were moments in Jesus' life where, where He felt like He was all alone. We know that as he was on the cross, he cried out, My fa- um, Father, why have thou forsaken me? So he experienced loneliness in that moment. He also experienced many different emotions. He wept when his friend Lazarus died. He got angry whenever he went into the temple and he saw that the temple would be turned into a, a, a den of thieves. So we know that Jesus experienced all kinds of emotions. So on this day, God the Father anoints the humanity of His Son to give Him the strength needed to begin His journey to the cross, as well as affirm to those in the crowd on this particular day that Jesus Christ was truly the long-awaited Messiah that had come to take away the sins of mankind. Have you ever wondered why in the world a dove descended um, from heaven or the appearance of a dove? Why wasn't it a hawk? Why wasn't it an eagle? Why was it a dove that, that came down in the form of the Holy Spirit? I love what John Piper writes. John Piper says this, The way the Spirit comes gives a direction for how its power is to be used. The word dove occurs on Jesus' lips one time in the Gospels, namely Matthew 10, 16. We read, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The dove suggests Jesus' purity, his meekness, and his innocence. It It was not majestic like the eagle or fierce like the hawk or flamboyant like the cardinal. It was simple, common, innocent, the kind of bird poor people could offer for a sacrifice. And so what the people see when the dove descends is they see um, a way that they can relate to Jesus Christ in the form of the dove. It was the kind of bird that common people could relate to. So from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see not a king that had come to rule with an iron fist, but we see a king who has come to demonstrate for us how we are to live our lives. Matthew twenty twenty eight, we read, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
from many. So we have the picture this morning of the Son, Jesus Christ. We have the picture of the Holy Spirit as it descends in the form of a dove. And the final thing that I want us to see this morning is I want us to, to hear the words that God proclaimed about His Son. In verse 17 we read, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is a very important confirmation that God the Father is making about His Son. One commentator says this, One in whom I am well pleased. And by the way, the term well pleased actually means delighted, which is a past tense word. In whom I delighted is another way to read this passage of Scripture. In other words, the statement flashes back over 30 years, and God says, I've examined this sacrificial dove. I've examined this one who will identify with sinners. Is he without spot? Is he without blemish? Yes, this is my beloved son in whom I delighted. I've checked him out, and I here set the seal of perfection on the son. The hidden years I've examined, and he is without spot, and I am well pleased. So we have this beautiful picture of God anointing his son for the messianic work that he was about to begin. He was going to begin his ministry all the way to the cross, and this affirmation that God gives of his son makes it abundantly clear to everyone that was present that day that Jesus Christ truly was the Messiah that had come to take away the sins of mankind. He was anointed before all the crowd so that this crowd could see that he truly was a priest, that he truly was the king, that he truly is the Messiah and the Redeemer. This morning, let me ask you a question. I know that we've, we've covered a lot and we've gone a little bit deeper than we normally would on a Sunday morning. But it was necessary for us to go to where we went this morning to help us as we walk through the rest of the book of Matthew together. So over the past couple of weeks, um, we've looked at the message that John the Baptist preached. It was a message of repentance, a message in which he called sinners to repent of their sins, to prepare their hearts for the arrival of King Jesus. So my question for you this morning is first, have you repented of your sins? Have you repented of your sins and asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of those sins? Have you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ and come to faith because you've repented of your sins and acknowledged that Jesus Christ is the, the Savior of the world and that He is also Lord of your life? And the third question that I have for the, you this morning is, have you been baptized? Have you been biblically baptized? That means several different things. First of all, is the mode of your baptism correct? Were you baptized through immersion? Was your baptism, is it on the right side of your salvation? 
And that's also important. If you accept, if you were baptized when you were eight years old, but you really didn't become a Christ follower until you were 27 years old, that means that your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation. Now, baptism does not save us, and we know that, but it is a step of obedience. And so if your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation, then I want to encourage you to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. If you're here this morning, if you never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then I invite you to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make. That is to repent of your sins, place your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And then after that, you know what we're going to do? Is we're going to set up a day so that you can be baptized in these baptismal waters to make sure that you are able to give testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. As we enter into this time of invitation, you may be here once again and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I invite you to come. Make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning and your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation. I invite you to come and just say, hey, I want to get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. And we're going to set that up for you. You may be here this morning and the Lord is leading you to become a part of this faith family. We invite you to come this morning to join this church as well. Let's stand together and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us just to walk through your teachings this morning. Father, we thank you for just allowing us to begin this service with a beautiful picture of what you have done in our lives through baptism. As we watch Dylan get baptized this morning, thank you for that picture. Lord, I know this morning that there may be some here that have never placed their trust in you. They have never repented of their sins and they've never entered into a relationship with you. And so this morning, Father, I pray that you will draw them unto salvation. Father God, there may be some here this morning that you are leading to be a part of this faith community. And Lord Jesus, we invite them to come and join this church. There may be some here, Father, this morning that their baptism is, is, is not, it was not biblical. And so this morning, I pray that they will come and they'll say, hey, I want to make sure that my baptism is in alignment with God's word. And Father, we're going to celebrate that this morning. Father, during this invitation, you move. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make this morning, you come. You come now. You come.